0: So I learned something about my, well, something about me was just confirmed this week in my life. Um, I, I am a magnet for homeless people. It, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I walk I can walk down the street, I could be in a crowd of a thousand people, and there'd be one homeless guy and he will come straight to me. I'm walking down Ash, uh, coming home from Starbucks or something this week, And I'm walking along, totally in my own world, and I had my Bible and a book I was reading in my hand. walk along, and this guy goes, hey, is that a Bible? And I turn around, and it's this homeless guy. And I said, yes. And uh, so I stopped, because there's a lot of homeless people in our neighborhood. I like them. They're crazy. Uh, We were were, uh, driving home uh, the other day, and we were pulling up to our house, and there was a homeless guy ringing our doorbell, and we just kind of took another lap, and uh, (laughs) we're like, you know what? My wife's in a hurry. We don't, you know, have time for this. Um, And half the time they want to talk to you about the aliens they know. And and, uh, so it's just weird. But um, uh, this guy, so he's talking to me. He's like, oh, that's great. You know, I read the Bible, too. I'm like, fabulous. It seems like that's another thing, that uh, homeless people are all Christians. Have you noticed this? They're all either Christians or alien worshipers uh, or some mix of the two um, they, it's amazing how many of these guys uh, talk about the Bible when they, you know, maybe they're just trying to get money out of you. I don't know. But, uh, this guy, so he's like, I read the Bible. I'm a Christian. I go to the Newman center. It's the Catholic, uh, church up on university. And so we start talking and all this stuff. And, and, uh, he goes, Hey man, uh, I want to keep you in my prayers. I'm like, Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. You know, that's, that's nice of you. And, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, Getting, trying to get home to have lunch with my wife. And so I'm like, great, thanks. Good, good. And he's just walking right with me. You know, doesn't, they don't pick up on, you know, like body language really. Um, it's the drugs, I think. And uh, the, so they, um, uh, so this guy goes, uh, he go, you know, he's telling me he's going to pray for me. I'm, I'm thanking him. And he says, hey, can I just pray for you right now? I'm like, oh, bro. I'm standing in front of Circle K. The tattoo parlors across the way, Otto's Pizza, which I go to all the times, right there. The the uh, piercing place, the comic book stores, like hardcore dudes everywhere. I'm trying to be cool. I walk by and I'm like, "What's up?" I'm going to come get a tattoo soon, you know. And then, <laughs> and 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 this this homeless guy wants to pray for me, like right here. And so I'm like, "What am I going to say?" Right? No, <laughs> uh, I wanted to, but I didn't. And uh, so he's like, "All right, you know, let's pray." And so. I, I, I bow my head and close my eyes, and and uh, he starts praying for me and, and praying like like he's full on charismatic praying, like praying for the Holy Ghost to you know give me tongues and you know all this stuff, baptizing me in the Holy Spirit, all this stuff. So he, uh, uh, I look up after about twenty minutes, and um, and he's got one hand on my shoulder and one hand up in the air like this. And he's praying like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And and he's just going off. And, you know, there's this part of me where I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, the 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 Circle K workers think I'm weird. And, and if Circle K workers think you're weird, <laughs> you're weird. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm just totally worried about everyone around me and like, oh, these guys are thinking this. And then I'm just like, you know what? This is a good lesson in humility for Justin right now. You know, like. If, if I think I'm too cool and too Christian and too whatever uh, to be prayed for by a homeless guy, um, I I got my priorities all messed up. So uh, I for the last 20 minutes of the prayer, I was able to really focus in. And, uh, you know, he, he did uh, end. Uh, actually, I kind of ended it for him. He made a really great point about uh, me seeing the white horse coming down from heaven and I just gave him a good amen and he kind of wrapped it up there and uh and uh and so uh, um so I uh uh you know I'm walking away and his name was Olaf get this Olaf Olafson something it might have been an alias of some sort uh I don't know what was going on but Olaf Olafson from Tucson uh prayed for me today and uh or the other day and 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 so i get home and i i i tell emily as ah, a homeless guy just prayed for me and she goes what you know and so i told her the story and and uh i go over I come over to the church and my dad goes so how was that i'm like what are you talking about like i, I drove by when you're i'm like hang it you know and then uh uh, Zach and Rachel, the Hutts kids were over and they were hanging out and uh, the Hutts came in. And they're like, Hey, so how was your prayer? And I'm like, <laughs> everybody saw, you know, the mayor called me later. He's like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, it was just everybody saw. It was just one of those moments, you know? Uh, but it was a good, like, yeah, I mean, it's a joke. I'm, a, I'm this homeless magnet. Cause I stop. That's my big problem. I see, I've been studying people. Uh, and, and it kind of—you guys, Seinfeld fans? Anybody Seinfeld? You remember when when Kramer's taking like half-hour showers, and so he starts, you know, watching people shower to get tips. You know, kind of creeps people out. Um, <laughs> great episode. But uh, I've been watching people how they avoid these half-hour prayer-filled Holy Spirit conversations with every homeless person on Mill. And I noticed they just put their head down and walk it right by, and I'm like, that's the key. I stop. I shake their hand. I hug them. Um, well, I don't hug them, but um, uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, I-, I learned a good lesson in humility this week that uh, I- I'm never too big to uh, be prayed for by a homeless man. So we are in Ruth. Uh, it's got nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Uh, just thought we'd start with that. Ruth 3, we're finishing up Ruth tonight. Um, I wanna real quick I wanna say uh we, we have we're going to El Salvador August twelfth through the nineteenth and we recently had a few people who aren't gonna be able to go. So we do have a couple of spots. Uh right now the only dudes are me and Ricky and so we're gonna be holding it down in the in the in the guy side here. So uh if if anybody's interested in going to El Salvador, it's gonna be about eight hundred bucks. We're leaving uh August twelfth through the nineteenth. Um uh, but we need to know like uh, yesterday. So if, if, if you want to go, God, you know, just has this moment where he's like El Salvador, or you have a vision of the country or something. Uh, let me know. But tonight, um, all right. Ruth chapter three, verse one, we're going to finish this up tonight. Actually, before we get started, I want to Kind of prep you for this. Ruth is a is a wonderful story. It's a great love story. As I said last week, it's a love story about a girl named Ruth and a guy named Boaz, and it's just it, it's it's a great story on that level. But the second half of Ruth, these last two chapters, are not only the culmination of this great love story, but are all is also a a very uh, uh, distinct allegory for our relationship with Christ. Okay. Boaz is a, is a real obvious Christ figure in this story. And, uh, and so we're going to basically, I'm going to tell you the story of Ruth and Boaz, but really I'm going to tell you the story of you and Jesus, me and Jesus, and what he's done for us and what he desires to do for, for all of us and, and those people in your life who aren't here and, and all this kind of stuff. So I just want to prep you with that tonight. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, her being Ruth, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, what we see here is that Boaz, like I said a second ago, Boaz is the Christ figure in this picture, that he is the kinsman redeemer. Okay, we're going to hear this, this uh, phrase over and over in these last two chapters, this kinsman redeemer. And I just want to tell you a little bit about that. If you uh, Last week we had the little intro to Ruth uh, pamphlets. If you didn't read that, um, we talked a lot in that about what it means to be a kinsman redeemer. And this was an Old Testament concept. We see in, it's, it's part of the Levitical law that if a, a man dies, a man who owned land, if he dies and leaves only a wife, we talked about how in this day, Uh, unmarried women had zero status in this culture, right? They weren't even really able to own land. Land was attributed to them, but really they didn't own it in any kind of practical way, okay? So what would happen is that the closest kinsman, the closest relative of the man would be given an opportunity to buy the land so that it would continue on in the family name, okay? Family names, this kind of... uh, 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 lineage and genealogy this was very very important to the jewish people uh, the name was carried on as well as the land was carried on titles were carried on prestige and honor and all that stuff was carried on through family lineage so in an, in, a, in order that this land and all their money and all that stuff wouldn't go to some random person the very next closest relative would be given an opportunity to purchase the land to keep it in the family essentially. okay, And so what would happen also with the wife is that she was, unfortunately at that time, considered part of the property, part of the land. And so this closest relative would be given the opportunity to purchase not only the land, but also the wife and redeem her back into a place uh, in the society where she was well thought of and and had an honorable place in the society single women uh, uh widows did not have an honorable place in in society so this is the process that naomi is telling ruth to go through she's saying go to boaz he is our close kinsman and uh and offer yourself as, 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 to be his or, excuse me offer him a chance to be your kinsman redeemer to redeem the land redeem your name redeem your place in this society OK, so uh, in this in this story, we see that Naomi has a greater understanding of the Jewish law and the opportunities that Ruth has within it. And we talked last week about how Ruth was from Moab. She was not a Jew. She's a foreigner in this land. She's not aware of the laws and the rituals and the opportunities that uh, that God provided for the poor. Ruth, we saw in the last chapter, was allowed the opportunity to go and work the land and make money so she could live. And this was law provided for by God for the poor and the aliens and the strangers in this land. So now Naomi is telling Ruth how she can be redeemed. She has information about what it means and, and the process of redemption that Ruth does not have. What does this remind you of? right? Naomi is, is an evangelist. She is, she is giving Ruth information that will lead to repentance, that will lead to redemption. Okay. She is acting a, a, as someone who knows the way to redemption. This is us. This is us as Christians, and every single week I get up in front of you guys and talk to you about being missional in your world, about seeing the people that you work with, that you live with, that you play with, that you you are related to, and seeing them as your God-given mission field. I was talking with a guy this week, and he was telling me about these opportunities that he has with all these people in Tempe, and he's talking about this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy opportunities that God has brought him, opportunities for the gospel, opportunities to lead to redemption. See, Naomi is the evangelist in this. Notice what she is not doing. She is not herself saving Ruth. All she's doing is telling her the way. She's saying there's an obvious need in your life. As you are, without a husband, you have no claim on your land, you have no claim in this society, you have no claim in this culture. You're basically dead. You might as well be. Without a redeemer, you're dead. Instead of Naomi, because it's not her place, Naomi is not the redeemer, but she knows who is. And Ruth is in a a place where she needs a redeemer. She's in a broken place. She's in a helpless place. She's in a place where she cannot make it on her own. She is basically living as a homeless person. She's taking a little from here and a little from there and trying to make ends meet. She doesn't have a place. She's a foreigner. She's traveling. She's in a land that has been her her people's enemies for years and years and years. And she's in need of help. She's in need of a redeemer. Martin Luther uh, is one of the founding fathers of of, uh, Protestantism. And he has a quote that uh, I think sums this up. He says, uh, he, he was a spiritual giant. A lot of people looked to him for guidance. A lot of look, people looked to him as kind of their pastor. And, and uh, he said that that salvation and 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 evangelism itself is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's it. It's good. I, I, Ruth, excuse me. Naomi knows this. She goes, I, I don't have anything to offer you. I've got nothing. I'm a beggar, just like you're a beggar. I'm homeless, just like you're homeless. I'm in need of redemption, just like you're in need of redemption. This is the place that we as Christians should be. This is, this is the position that we should be with those around us who are not Christians. We're not better than them. We're not holier than them. We're not more likely to get God's love, more deserving of God's grace. As Martin Luther put it, we are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And that's what Naomi's doing. She said, I got no place in this society either. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a place. She's telling Ruth, listen, I can't help you, but I know who can. I can't make your life whole, but I know who can. And say so. Naomi is the evangelist in this story, and she is telling Ruth the steps to take to get to a redeemer. See, it's it's so simple when we think about it in those terms. A lot of times when we get real intimidated and real scared about sharing the gospel with people around us, here's the thing, guys: we are not saving anybody. You are not the redeemer. You are not. Responsible to make someone's life whole again. There is one Redeemer. There is one person who can make our lives whole. There is one person that can bring us status. That can bring us worth. That can bring us value in the kingdom of God. That's Jesus Christ. That's it. So the role of of evangelist is not is not redeemer is not savior the role of evangelist is simply to say this is where to go i found bread and it's over there go get some go get some i didn't make the bread i didn't need the bread i didn't do any of the bread but i know where it is i know where to find it naomi knows her place in this she knows that this is how she will be redeemed as well here's the thing when ruth is redeemed so is naomi she knows here that her life is as much wrapped up in this, this situation as Ruth's is. That she is in just as much need of a redeemer as Ruth is. And until you are in a place as a Christian that you remember that you are just as much in need of a redeemer as anybody else that you see in our society, you'll miss it. you miss it. These are the things that were running through my head while Olaf Olafsson was praying for me. You know, I I was thinking, man, I'm, I'm being so prideful right now. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this homeless guy is praying for me. I have a home, right? You know, like that's my big thing. I have a home. That makes me better than him. I got money in my pockets. I got a phone. I got these things that make me more worthy of redemption, that make me more worthy of God's love. We miss it miss until we get into our heads that we are beggars and we come to people around us in that kind of humility and say hey i'm i'm just like you i need a redeemer just as much as you do i found the way somebody else showed me the way to the redeemer let me show you let me give you directions to the redeemer So we go on. Ruth did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. In verse 7, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Here's the thing about this story. It's creepy, right? Uh, tonight, if I'm laying in bed sleeping after you know eating and drinking and go to bed very happy, and in the middle of the night I'm startled, and I look up and there's a woman at the foot of my bed that's not my wife, well I'd be startled either way I, I, If Emily's at the foot of the bed uncovering my feet, laying next to it. Uh, awkward as well but uh but even more so if one of you uh somehow got into my house um somehow got around my vicious cat and uh uncovered my feet uh from from you know the covers and then just kind of perched at the end of my bed i i have a bat next to my bed so uh don't do that i don't recommend it uh but it's weird It's creepy, right? You know, and a lot of people over the years have looked at this and go, ooh, uh, Ruth is offering herself to Boaz, that she is offering herself physically, sexually to Boaz. And Ruth even says here, and we read through our whacked out, sexed out, 21st century American eyes, says, do, tell me to do whatever you want to do. We read that and go, whoa, I've seen that movie. It doesn't end well. It goes this way. after that point, we read these stories through through 21st century American eyes. This is this is actually a, a, a very distinct allusion uh, to God. We see in Ezekiel sixteen eight. Uh, ezekiel says his word from the lord he says i've seen you you're old enough talking to israel he says i've seen you're you old enough to be loved i'm paraphrasing you have the actual behind me says i god says i will spread my garment over you and what's that last line you are mine you are mine see this is amazing this is this is so amazing We look at this story and go, wow, this creepy girl's going to this dude at night and uncovering his feet and laying there and then offering herself in some way, and it's weird, and then we look a little deeper and see that this is actually a very well-known Near Eastern uh, uh, thing. It's something that happened all the time. This is something that happened a lot, that Boaz would have known exactly what she was saying. Here's the thing, to, to a a, less, a man of less character, remember we saw at the beginning in, in chapter one that they called Boaz a man of honor? This is a man of character. This is a good man. And if Ruth had gone maybe to another man and uncovered his feet and gave herself to him, yeah, maybe then it would have gotten inappropriate. Maybe then it would have been a little more creepy. Maybe. But this is Boaz. This is a man of honor, a man of character, a man whom Naomi and Ruth both knew that they could trust. That when Ruth went to his feet and uncovered his feet and offered herself to him. I mean, we see this last line, that God, as the kinsman redeemer, when God spread his garment over the people of Israel, they were his, his property, his own He owned them. So when Ruth goes to Boaz, she had better know that she can trust this man. She had better know that Boaz is a man of character, a man that will redeem her and not take advantage of her. And Naomi had that trust. Ruth had that trust. And we, when we go to Christ, have to have that trust. Because when we commit our lives to God, we are saying, own me. Own me. I am yours now. Spread your garment over me. Let me be yours. This is not a simple, hey, let's be friends. Hey, let's go out on a couple dates. This is is not a, 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 a trite relationship that we have with God. God is not our good luck charm. God is not our lucky rabbit's foot that when things aren't going good, we pray and we say some mantra and and, and all of a sudden he shows up. This is not how it works. When we go to God, we go to him as Ruth went to Boaz and say, spread your garment over me so that I can be yours. Because I trust you. Because I know you. Because you are a good God who will not take advantage. You will not lead me astray. You will not use me and abuse me as so many people do in our culture. Every day people are used and abused. People that they put their trust in. People like fathers and like mothers and aunts and uncles abuse the trust that they are given. I was watching Dateline the other night. And uh, I shouldn't watch that show because it makes me mad almost every time. They do these hidden camera kind of things. And um, they were doing this thing where uh, they had set up decoys online you know, on the Internet. Um, and it's set up, like, profiles on, like, a MySpace or uh, AOL or something like this. And, and these profiles were of 13- and 14-year-old girls, okay? And it's an actual actually, like, an, a 50-year-old overweight man. Uh, that's on the other side of the computer, which is really disappointing when these guys show up. But um, the uh, uh, they basically troll the Internet looking for dudes to try and hook up with these 13- and 14-year-old girls. And it's a setup. Like, it's something they're doing, that Dateline's doing. In fact, it's actually the police department's doing, and Dateline's just kind of along for the ride. It's amazing. Guy after guy after guy was traveling hour Two hours across several states to meet these thirteen and fourteen year old girls who didn 't even exist, and they 're talking inappropriately to these girls and they show up and they kind of come in and go, "Hey, you here you know and uh, the, the host for Dateline comes out, and they 're like, "Oh, disappointing um, <laughs> um, and and it 's just like they spring this trap on them right, and they sit them down and they 're talking to them. And, and discussing this with them, and it was amazing. These guys answered questions, and it was it was crazy. Dudes who were teachers, firemen, uh, a, one guy who was a father of two girls, the same age of the girl he was going to meet. Unbelievable. This guy, the teacher, was a sixth-grade teacher teaching 13-year-olds, and he was going to meet a 13-year-old. Teachers, firemen, fathers, mothers, brothers, uncles, abusing trust. And we have to know. Sometimes I wonder why God used the metaphor of a father to explain our relationship to him. Sometimes I wonder. Because there are so many dads in this world who do a terrible job of living up to the example that God sets for fathers in the Bible. Sometimes I look at that and go, God, that was dumb. That was dumb. Because there are so many bad fathers that when a a young girl or a young boy is abused by their father or abandoned by their father or ignored by their father or whatever, then they go to the Bible and say, God is our father. They go, I don't want any of that. I know what a father does. I know how a father treats his children. I don't want that. I don't want that when Ruth goes to Boaz, she has to go with utmost trust that he won't abuse her, that he won't take advantage of her, that he will love her and care for her the rest of her life. That is the God we serve. That is the God of the Bible. We have, it, within the pages of the Bible, thousands of years of history of God being faithful and just, and loving with his people. When we go to God, when we go to our Redeemer, we have to go with trust because we are laying down our lives. We are saying, God, I'm yours. Can I trust you with my life? Can I trust you with that? Until we come to that place, until we come to that place where we're, where we can honestly say, yeah, God, I trust you. Either we won't go to him at all, or we kind of keep him on the side. We need him when we need him, when we need dad, we go to dad like he's an ATM machine. We get some cash and then we just leave him alone because we don't really like him. We don't really trust him, but we go to him when we need stuff. We need a place to live. I can't make rent. I can't pay my utilities uh oh, dad atm machine do, do, do. and you know it's like that's that's our relationship with 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 our fathers so many times and so many of us so many of you in this room tonight have that relationship with god and you say yeah i'm a christian i believe in god but i'm not his he's kind of on the side and when i need stuff i go to him when something bad happens in my life I go to him to bail me out. We keep God on the side because we don't really trust him. We don't really trust that if we give ourselves to him, that he will handle us well, that he will love us and take care of us. We don't really trust. It's sad. It's sad what our experience in this life is has done to us when it comes to our relationship with God. But we see in Ruth, in this story, someone who does have that ultimate trust, and she goes and she gives herself uh, to Boaz, and he says in verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether, whether rich or poor. Here's the thing. There's a lot in our world That's more attractive than God. A lot. There's a lot of lifestyle choices that we could choose to make that are more attractive, that are easier, that are sexier, that are more popular than God. A lot. Like most of them, right? Like the way of the cross, the way of Christ, the way of giving ourselves to God is not the most attractive route. See, we as humans, we are very short-sighted. We see what is the very next step, maybe two or three steps ahead of us, and we go, I want that one. I want the easy one, that very next step, and we don't look down the road. We are not far-sighted. We don't see the big picture. We see what's in front of us. We want good now. We want happiness now. We want pleasure now. And we make choice after choice after choice in our lives that give us pleasure now and pain later. Every choice we make that is not the choice that leads us to the cross is a choice that may give us pleasure now, but will give us pain later. It will. It will. That is a promise. That when we do not choose the way of God, when we choose the easy way, we choose the wide path, as Scripture tells us, We choose the easy way. We choose the popular way. We choose the way that everyone else around us is going. We find pleasure now and we find pain later. Unfortunately, we don't know this until it's too late. Right? Because we love the pleasure. We enjoy the pleasure. And then by the time we get to the pain and it dawns on us, oh, I made the wrong decision and now I'm reaping the benefits or the rewards negatively of the decision I made, it's too late. You know what I think is is the most devious thing that Satan does in our lives? Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. We forget the bad decisions we make like that. We make bad decisions every day. We reap the pain and, and the destruction that they have in our lives. And then for a little while, we remember that and it scares us and we have the fear of God in us and we don't make that same mistake again for about like 30 seconds. And then once again, we forget. We forget. Satan blinds us to our own memory. We forget the stupid decisions we made. And we again look just right the step ahead of us and go, yeah, it did hurt a little. But I, it's kind of vague now. And I see all the pleasure that's avail- available to me right now. I choose the Pleasure. Right? That's what we do time and time and time again. Not only does Satan blind us to our mistakes, but he also blinds us to God's provision, God's faithfulness. The things God has done in our lives, we so easily forget. And something bad happens and we freak out all over again, even though God has been with us and provided for us and been faithful for, to us over our entire lives. And We are still here. We are still living we still have homes, we still have friends, the end of the world has not come yet, And but every single time something goes wrong in our lives, we freak out and we forget about all that God's done. So quick, so quickly, we forget about God's provision in our lives. It's a shame. And Boaz is telling Ruth here, this thing you this choice you are making now see see Ruth could have kind of checked out the dating scene there in Bethlehem she could have gone to the clubs gone to the hot spots you know dressed it up looked good and tried to find a younger guy now it would have been tough because young guys aren't looking for widows you know with baggage and stuff right you don't go to the, you know, you're just not, right? You're not looking for that kind of baggage. You're a young guy, you're 16, you're not thinking, ooh, 40-year-old widow sounds good, right? You know, you just you don't think that way. So it would have been tougher, but Boaz says, the kindness that you showed, the faithfulness, you, the faithfulness that you showed to Naomi, remember this, in, in, in chapter 2, when, uh, when Ruth went to go uh, reap in, in Boaz's field, Boaz asked about who she was, and his foreman said, oh, she's the woman who came with Naomi. And Boaz went over to her and says, I know of your faithfulness to your mother-in-law, your kindness that you showed to your mother-in-law. You didn't have to, but you did. And because of that character that Ruth showed, Boaz blessed her. And now we get later in the story, and and Ruth offers herself uh, to Boaz, and Boaz says, this is even kinder than what you've done before. This is even better than what you've done before. Because you had options, right? We all have options. We all have choices we can make in our lives. We all have other ways we could live our lives. None of us, our only option is Jesus. None of us. All of us can, can choose the immediate pleasures of this world. And we do. Many of you in here tonight do every day. We have options. We we live in a world that has freedom and independence and options. We can do whatever we want to do. And Boaz is telling Ruth, this is the best thing you've done yet. Because you have chosen the path that leads to redemption. You haven't gone to the younger guys or the, the, the richer guys. You haven't done that. You've come to the one that can redeem. That can ultimately redeem. We've got lots of options in our world, guys. And they're after us every day. Blessed is the man that chooses the way that leads to true redemption. Blessed. He goes on. Verse 11 says, Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. "'Stay here for the night, and in the morning, "'if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. "'But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, "'I will do it. Lie here until morning.' "'So she lay at his feet until morning, "'but got up before anyone could be recognized, "'and he said, Don't let it be known "'that a woman came to the threshing floor. "'He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing "'and hold it out. "'When when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley "'and put it on her. "'Then he went back to town.' When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Two things here. Boaz gives Ruth six measures of barley to bring back to her mother-in-law, to bring back to Naomi. Now, if we look back in in chapter 1, verse uh, in verse 20, uh, Naomi has just come back to Bethlehem. Everyone's freaking out because Naomi's back. There. She's been gone for 10 years. And they're like, oh, Naomi, is that you? Is that you? And uh, Naomi says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. Naomi makes this big point about how she had a family and she had stuff and she had property and she went away full, but that God had brought her back empty. And then Boaz, the Christ figure in our story, makes a very specific point to give six measures of barley to Ruth to take back to her, take back to Naomi. Why? He's, uh, uh, she, he says, Don't go back to your mother in law empty. No longer will she be empty. God's provision in our lives is faithful. It is true. She came back empty. She complained that she was empty. And Boaz says, no, you're full. You come to me, the Redeemer, and you're full. You're full. And Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi had ultimate faith. Not only in Boaz's uh, ability to redeem but also in his faithfulness to redeem. She says, you go to him now, he will redeem now. There's not steps you have to take. There's not You don't have to prove yourself worthy. Boaz will redeem, and he will redeem now. So we get stuff backwards a lot of times. This is one, of, I, I, I attribute this to Satan as well. He flipped it on us. He flipped the message of the gospel on us. The message we think when we think of the gospel, we think, do this and do that and live right and make good choices and boom, do do, 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 and then we become salvation. Wrong. Wrong. Backwards. Backwards. friend of mine always likes to say, you are not saved because of anything you have done. You are saved because of what he already did. Period. Period. Now, does that mean that we can have a relationship with Christ and live however the heck we want to live? No. Let's not get the cart before the horse. It is not do, 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 and be saved. It is accept Christ, have a relationship with Christ, seek the Redeemer, and allow Him to change your life. He will change in you your desires He will change in you your priorities. He will completely transform your life. Get it backwards. We get it backwards. We are not Christians because of the way we live and what we do. We are Christians because of what he already did for us. He died on the cross for our salvation. Period. Period. That is the message of the gospel relationship with christ brings us salvation and we live the rest of our lives in thankfulness and obedience to him period and it's been flipped on us it's been flipped but she gets it naomi gets it meanwhile boaz went up to the town gate and sat there when the kinsman redeemer had mentioned he had mentioned came along boaz said come over here my friend and sit down so he went over and sat down boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said sit here Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite's, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. So that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Boaz stepped up and bought her. Bought her for a price. We look at that and we go, oh, that's so sexist. That's so ancient that this man would buy a wife, buy a woman. It is. It is. It's an ancient culture. This is this is not our culture today. We don't buy our wives, right? It's not how it works. they are not at Walmart or, or anywhere else. We don't buy wives anymore, right? But we see in 1 Corinthians 6, this this concept of buying is not limited to the Old Testament only. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, he says that you, Christians, were bought. You were bought for a price. That you are not your own anymore. Part of becoming a Christian, part of committing your life to Christ, is giving up rights to yourself. That's not popular. That is not popular. Every day we hear about somebody fighting for rights, for equal rights, for For more rights, for different rights. We're all about rights in America and and our and our personal rights and our personal freedoms. As Christians, this should be no surprise to anyone that knows that the gospel is completely upside down from the way this world operates. We were bought. Paul says you were bought for a price that you are no longer your own, but you are owned by God. You gave up your freedom, you gave up your independence. You gave it all up and entrusted it to someone that you know will handle it well, will treat you well, will love you faithfully, and bring to your life more joy than you could ever have on your own. You were bought for a price. That price was the death of the Son of God. That price was God the Son becoming a man Coming to this earth, laying aside his glory, laying aside his position, laying aside his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Coming to earth as a nobody, as an absolute nobody in an absolute nowhere town, living a a hard life, being beaten, crucified, and dying on a cross. That's your price you were bought for it's an expensive price you're worth every penny of it to God not because you're so great not because you're so cute not because you're so talented but because God is so great because God is so loving that's why that's why each and every one of us were bought for a price and that price was the death of the son of God It's an expensive price. That is the offer that is extended to each and every one of us. That is the offer that is extended. To allow God to buy you for a price. To nuzzle up to God's feet. Uncover them and say, God, buy me. Own me. Own me. Let me live for you the rest of my life. Boaz redeemed Ruth. And then all the elders at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by the young woman. May your family be like that of Perez who, bore, who Tamar bore to Judah. And then we see uh, a genealogy of their family. It's amazing. That Ruth was the great, 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 several more greats, grandmother of Jesus. Jesus. So not only is this a great love story, not only is this a great allegory of our relationship with Christ, but it's also a beautiful history that God would choose average people in an average part of the world that don't deserve anything foreigners, aliens, and strangers in the land who are poor, homeless, working in the fields to be the ancestors of the ultimate redeemer. You don't need place. You don't need position. You don't need popularity. You don't need money. You need God. You need God. There's a lot of different paths in this world. A lot of different choices to make. A lot of different ways to go. But there is one path that leads to redemption. There is one path that leads to a redeemer. That's the path of the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for books like this. A lot of us don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. And I think we miss out on a lot. Beautiful stories of love. Allegories of redemption, Lord, that we can look at and go, man, you really did have this planned out from before the creation of the world. You really did have this plan of salvation in mind from so far back. You have known us since before we were in our mother's womb. Lord, your word says that it's your kindness that leads us to redemption your kindness that leads us to repentance God you have been so kind to us if we stop and think about it Lord you have blessed us with so much family and friends and clothes and places to work and places to live and you have blessed us with everything we need God and then you continue to bless us with stories like this stories of redemption that tell us that you had this all in mind for thousands of years. God, I pray that those here tonight that are not in relationship with you, Lord, would seek you, would metaphorically go to your feet and uncover your feet and offer themselves to you to be their owner, to be their Lord, to be their Redeemer. God, thank you, because we do not deserve it. We don't deserve it at all. In your name we pray. Amen.